Welcome everyone to Hoop Sevens Basketball Hustle, our brand new podcast here that I'm embarking with with my co-host. I'm I'm Chris Pike and thanks for joining us and I'm I'm here with the men that you would all prefer to, to hear from and sitting sitting aside me right now is a a legend of, of Australian basketball, a legend of the Perth Wildcats. He's a, he's an he's an Olympian, he's a he's an all-time great and he, he all started from humble beginnings back in, in Nebraska. So Sean Reddish, it's a pleasure to have you with me, and, and what brought you to, to embark on this new adventure? Well, I'm excited. It's uh, you know a different medium than uh, I'm probably used to being out there on the basketball court and be able to, uh, I guess, bring the stories behind uh, basketball in Australia and especially the NBL and, and, and be able to reach uh, the fans in, in a different medium. Yeah, I'm excited too. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time now, so hopefully... Hopefully, some of that chemistry can can come through. I I covered most of your career here here in Perth. Obviously, I've, I've had different roles throughout. You know, the, the whether it's the Wildcats or the NBL or or different things, mostly in a writing capacity. But yeah, I'm excited to to now share this this journey with you. And um, first of all, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the great support of of Hoop Seven, um, a fantastic basketball store. We'll talk a bit a bit more about them later on in the, in the show, Sean. But um, if you ever need any bicycle gear, you sure know where to go. Absolutely. I mean, in Perth City, they've got everything and, and online as well. So, uh, you know, if you're into your basketball gear, you need a new pair of boots or the latest NBA uh, or NBL jersey, uh, Hoop 7 is place to go. Yeah, Jason Hughes is a great supporter of ours. And it's fair to say this show wouldn't be coming to you today without his support. So thanks to Jason and his team there. Um, if you'd like to check us out, we've got, got some social media set up. So if you want to check us out on Facebook, you can just type in Basketball Hustle and you can find us there. We've got an Instagram page, hustle.basketball, and also on, on Twitter, B-Ball Hustle Pod. So if you want to want to check us out on any of those formats, feel free to get in touch with us. And if you've got any questions, especially for Sean, um, let us know before next week and we'll, we'll chuck them his way throughout the show and you might get some some answers that you've always always wanted wanted to know. Um, in terms of a show, Sean, um, there's a lot of a lot of shows and, and podcasts, and the, with the popular popularity of the NBA right now, it's being talked about more than ever. Um, but with somebody like you being involved, you've played with a lot of different players. You've had a lot of coaches over the years in in a lot of different countries. Um, what's something that we can try to to bring a little bit different to to the podcast podcast landscape? Well, I guess I guess from our point of view, we just want to be able to bring those insider information be able to interview some of the players and ask the questions that fans probably always have wanted to ask but uh, haven't had the chance to and probably not the, uh, you know, to, to be able to ask those questions straight after a game or or during a, uh, I guess, you know, a news conference or those type of things is probably not the best case. But in this medium, I think we can go delve a little bit deeper and ask those questions that the fans really want to be asked. Absolutely. And this first episode is a perfect example of that. Someone that you know incredibly well, Dylan Boucher is our, our first ever guest and we'll get to him him shortly. But in terms of somebody that you played with, you played against a lot and you know a lot of your, your basketball career has sort of gone hand in hand with his as a teammate or as, as an opponent. So in terms of first up guests, he's, he's a, about as good as it gets. Oh, he's a... He's a the word winner just comes to mind when you speak about Dylan, the amount of championships he's won and such a great teammate and uh, excited to, that we're able to have him on our first uh, show. The other thing is, each, each week you'll be doing a two-minute drill segment. Um, didn't quite go to plan for our first episode and I had to host it and it 
didn't quite turn out to be a two-minute drill because Damo, as you might know, likes to talk, so it went a bit longer than the two minutes. Um, but to have Damien Martin on our first episode, he's somebody that your career in Perth went hand-in-hand with as well. Yeah, the Damien Martin is an incredible player, leader, uh, teammate, and uh, proud to call him a friend as well. So he's, uh, you know, he's done some incredible things out on the court, and uh, you know, I'm sure that's not the last we're going to hear from <laughs> Damien Martin uh, this year and, and in our podcast. A couple of more quick thank yous. If you've if you've managed to check us out on social media so far, you would notice that we've got a logo made up. So thank you to Veronica Dardell for. For making that for us, um, you can check her work out on Instagram at veronicas.design. And also, we've got a bit of a caricature done of us both. And make up your own mind if it's flattering to, to either of us or not. But, um, yeah, we a pretty familiar name that, that did that for us and, and Brad Robbins who helped us out there. Well, Brad Robbins, a uh, man of multi-talents. And, uh, you know, he's uh, – when I first came to Australia, we played against each other when we were playing back in the Seabulls. So uh, now we are both end up over here in WA. And, uh, you know, it's awesome that he can be a part of it uh, as well. Pretty recent run-in you had with him too. Just you're, you're moving to what you've been doing recently just now. And you managed to share the call with Brad Robbins and Greg Hyer this past SBL season when you were playing with the – Perry Lakes Hawks, which was, was quite a bit of a bit of a thrill for you. Yeah, a bit surreal that uh, I guess we've kind of moved on from our NBL days, but still uh, trying to run around there with the with the young guys out there on, in the SBL, and uh, it was fun to uh, obviously probably prefer them to be on my team than than against him, but uh, you know a lot of respect for both those guys. Um, just touching on your career, Sean, you don't really need any introductions, but for anybody that needs. A reminder of what you did in your career. You might notice that this show is called The Writer and the Scoring Machine for obvious reasons, where I'm the writer and, and Lockie Reed famously dubbed you the, the scoring machine for those early seasons you had at the Wildcats, where you just put up some remarkable numbers on a team that couldn't quite compete for a championship, but the numbers you were putting up, you know, 25 points pretty, pretty much every every season there for, for about four years. So you, you earned that moniker, but along the way, um, 380 games of your 393 NBL career came at the at the Perth Wildcats. You joined Ricky Grace as a as a six-time Gordon Ellis medalist with, for the club MVP. Which uh, I remember when when Ricky won his six, nobody thought it was possible for anyone to get close to that. So that was an incredible effort. Um, four-time championship winner, which is just remarkable. Um, but not only that, you, you played at the Olympic Games for Australia only months after becoming an Australian citizen, which is a remarkable story in, in its own right. You've won championships in Puerto Rico, you won Seabull championships, your first season playing locally in the SBL for the Perth Redbacks, you won a championship. It's a, it's a resume that when you look back on, um, you probably don't want to talk too much about yourself, but you'd have to be proud of. Oh, look, uh, it was probably the farthest thing from my mind when I came over here to be able to do some of those things. And uh, I guess it's, yeah, you're proud of, of what uh, you've been able to to accomplish, um, probably a lot more than, than I ever thought possible. So had some incredible teammates, coaches, and support along the way. So it's uh, it's been an incredible journey. But, you know, I'm excited about the learn about the new guys and, and their journeys and, and delve deep into, into what uh, kind of makes them uh, who they are in, in the league and, and in basketball and, and I guess that's what this show is about and yeah. being able to explore that and find some uh, uh, you know some inside information that we can to uh, give to our fans absolutely I'm sure people would be interested though what you've been up to since retiring from the NBL you retired after the 2017 
championship. You've still been playing locally in the SBL, but outside of playing, you've set up Redditch Basketball, which appears to be going from strength to strength. We've seen you on the NBL broadcast, and we'll see you again this season, which is very exciting. Um, just give us a little bit of a rundown of what you've been up to since since retiring from the NBL. Yeah, well, it's always a hard thing as an athlete going to that next stage of life. You've uh, something that you've done for for such a long time, but uh, yeah, started Redditch basketball when I finished uh, playing with the Wildcats, and you know we do run a lot of programs, camps, and and stuff at, at local schools here. So it's been uh, been great to see so many young kids just getting into basketball. I think you know the resurgence that the NBL has is I'm also seeing that at the ground roots as well so we're getting year one year twos years five sixes they're starting to pick up the basketball and fall in love with the game and and i know what basketball has done for my life and the journey that i've been able to uh experience so i'm excited about to pass on that on to the next generation so if you want to check out redditchbasketball.com go for that and uh you know we're uh it's about providing uh pathways for for basketball all the way from primary school up to the elite level now, all, all of a sudden, this week we're into the NBL season. It, it can be a long off-season at times from, from well, what was it, the early March when we saw the Perth Wildcats win another championship to, to now, but all of a sudden the season's upon us. Um, before we get into that, it's been a big off-season in terms of basketball for a lot of reasons. There was enormous hopes for Australia to win a medal at, at the FIBA World Cup over in China. They didn't quite get there. As a former Olympian yourself and a former a former Boomers representative. What did you make of, of the, the Boomers World Cup performance? Look, they were an exciting group to watch. I love the way they played. Uh, you could really tell that those guys have played um, for a number of years together. They just, uh, you know, if you watch the Americans play and then you watch Australia play, it just seemed like they played so much better team-wise. And uh, and I think the results show. They, uh, you, you really feel for them. I mean, they're about two seconds away from, from a medal. Um, you know, some of those things, Patty Mills misses a free throw. I mean, that's uncharacteristic of him in, in the clutch like that. And, uh, you know, I, I was extremely proud of the way the Boomers played. Uh, you know, I think that it was unfortunate. I think they deserved to, to get a medal and, and probably even get into that gold medal game as well. So, uh, you know, exciting for Australia basketball. And, and, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, maybe could this be what kind of spurs them on to really, really get something at the next Olympics? Um, you know, obviously the, the heartbreak they had at the previous Olympics you thought would kind of spur them on. But sometimes, uh, you know, things don't go your way and uh, it kind of makes it even, you know, you get a bigger reward than you thought possible. So hopefully that's the case for, for the Boomers. But I, I love the way they played and I think it's unfortunate that they, they didn't come away with the medal. But I think all Australia is very proud of them. Absolutely. Um, turning to the NBL now, later on in the show, after we hear from, from Dylan and, and Damian Martin, we'll get into a bit of a breakdown of the team and we'll give our season predictions. But, but for now, um, have you, do you remember a season in the NBL ever with more excitement, not only in, in Australia, but across the world, given we've got Lamelo Ball playing in the league this season with the, the hype that comes with him and his family, RJ Hampton, who looks like being a very high draft pick, the excitement around the NBA right now, I don't ever remember feeling it higher. No, I mean, you're getting on ESPN, Sports Center over in the US, the talk 
uh, over there about Australian basketball and the, just the amount of players that uh, the NBL is sending over there. You've got the NBL playing the NBA um, in the preseason again. So there is, uh, there is a lot of things to like about what the NBL is doing. And even at the preseason, I mean, you, you might get maybe one scout there in previous years, if any. And there was 27 NBA scouts watching LaMelo Ball play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his stock draft rose tremendously in a matter of one weekend. Yeah. So I think that's what it shows, uh, you know, credit to the NBL and uh, and what they've done and bringing the exposure to the league. And, uh, you know, it's exciting times to be a part of and on the eve of the season now, massive news over the last 24 hours with Jerome Randall returning to the Adelaide 36ers. We've already had, we haven't had the season start yet. And we've already had two imports part company with, with a change of the New Zealand breakers as well. But for Jerome Randall to now join the Adelaide 36ers on the eve of the season, um, what does that do do for them in, in terms of them being a, a contender now for, for this season? Well, in Joey Wright's system, Jerome Randall is the perfect player. I mean, he is fast. He's unguardable in a one-on-one situation and the way they want to play um, you know I think it shows he was an MVP that year probably unfortunate not to uh, get to the grand final and potentially win the championship so I think it's a great signing especially with them losing Sobe who did so much for him the last couple of years I think they needed a score they probably didn't see that in the preseason um, from from Taylor who they needed so to get Jerome Randall I think is a huge get and uh, you know, I think it kind of puts Adelaide back into the mix for getting to that top four. I think it was going to be tough without him. But I also think it's going to make Daniel Johnson a better player as well because a two-man game with him and, and Randall is uh, extremely tough one to guard. Yeah, I think Harry Froling could thrive playing alongside him as well. So a combination of, of DJ and Harry working with Jerome could be pretty exciting. If you're Deshaun Taylor right now, you're in the United States preparing to play against the Utah Jazz and you'll still play on Sunday and you'll play alongside Jerome. How are you, how are you feeling for, as somebody who knows what, what it feels like to, to unfortunately be dumped as, a, as an import? Well, look, I think in any other scenario, you're probably saying, I'm not playing. But when you get to play against the NBA, uh, you know, that's a, that's a dream come true for any basketballer, especially one that grows up in the U.S., um, and, and your mates get to watch you step out on an NBA floor. So you take that opportunity any day you get. So obviously there's going to be – it's it's a tough situation. Um, we'll see how it goes, but it's a uh, – I think it's just one of those things. You get to play in the NBA, you take that. Absolutely. Um, well, like we talked about before we came on air, I think the chance for him to impress to get a new contract, it's a massive chance for him too. So there's positives to take out of every situation. We could – we could easily fill up an hour just talking about what's happening in the NBA right now. Um, we'll get back to it a little bit a bit later on after we hear from Dylan Boucher first and then Damian Martin. But before we go to our our first interview, Sean, um, your son Dylan had a birthday recently. Where did you go to get his, get his, his probably his favourite gift? Yeah, well, he wanted the uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, jersey. He was asking for it for months, so... Uh, you know, had to go over to Hoops Heaven, and uh, th- there was none left in town except for at Hoops Heaven. So, if you need something basketball-wise, that is the place to go. They got everything. Absolutely. If, it, if anyone's seen me wandering around, you'll know that, especially Detroit Pistons gear, I don't mind putting on, and and certainly Hoops Heaven and the team there have helped me out more than one occasion. You have a look at my sister; she's always in 
Boston Celtics gear and that's where I get get it all for, for her as well and even my girlfriend Laura now since she's teamed up with me um, she picked the Charlotte Hornets as her as her club just because she liked the colours and, and now she's she's decked out in Hornets gear as well and I get all that from from Hoops Heaven and of course this 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 podcast wouldn't be possible without Jason and his team at, at Hoops Heaven you can check them out Physically, they've got a, a fantastic store in, in Murray Street in the Perth city. But if you're not in Perth, hoop7.com.au, and you can order all of the basketball gear you could ever dream dream of. They're happy to ship it wherever you are. It's a it's a fantastic website, it's a fantastic fantastic store, and for them to team up with us, it's a it's a great vote of confidence that that somebody's willing to invest in us and to become partners with us. And I just can't speak more highly of Hoop Seven as, as a store. You can check them out on Facebook at, at Hoop Seven. Check them out on Instagram at Hoops Heaven AU. And as I said, hoopseven.com.au. And there yeah, you can go go there for, for everything you need. All your NBA gear, whether it's the the latest Nike gear, all your Jordan Jordan gear, whether it's your shoes or or you know your, your shorts or your tracksuits or your, your jackets. Mitchell and Ness put out some some fantastic gear as well. You can find that there. Adidas are putting out some great products at the moment and you can find that at Hoop7. New Era, especially their caps are, are fantastic. All your latest sporting gear and first ever gear as well. If you want to get decked out in your latest NBL gear, then check out Hoop7 as well. I think you, you covered it all right there. They've got everything and uh, I think that uh, Hoop7 is, you know, basketball is having a resurgence and, and knowing uh, Jason as well, just talking, uh, you know, just the, the interest in the NBL and NBA. Uh, you know, the stuff's flying off the stores there. Absolutely. So thanks to Jason and Hoops Heaven. And, and now we'll get into our first interview here on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle with Dylan. Very first show of our of Basketball Hustle. I'm here with, with Sean Reddidge, obviously. And our very first guest, Dylan Boucher, a man that Sean obviously knows very well from from battles with and against over, over his career and obviously having to see Dylan celebrate some championships wasn't ideal but you know, obviously Dylan's a, a legend of Australian, of Australian and New Zealand basketball so Dylan Boucher um, thanks for joining us here on Basketball Hustle. No, it's great, to, uh, great to be on your first show and uh, yeah, uh, great to be chatting, chatting hoops. Absolutely, yeah, we appreciate you um, taking the time. Um, first of all, it's been an eventful couple of weeks for you. Um, what are you up to at the moment? Uh, to be honest, I was chainsawing trees down today, so uh, <laughs> uh, I want to say I want to say I'm a man of leisure, but I'm definitely filling uh, the void of all the jobs that have probably been procrastinating on for the last six months. So I've been uh, getting stuck into it and in between doing that, trying to find a job. So it's <laughs> been a beautiful few days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tracing back a, a couple of weeks now. Um, Obviously, on the eve of the season, it's a big decision to, to leave the role you're in at the at the Breakers as general manager. Um, can you just talk us through what was what was behind that, and and I guess how difficult of a decision it was? Yeah, it was a really difficult decision. I mean, it's been a huge part of my life uh, being involved with the Breakers, and you know, to, to uh, I guess leave that behind. It's kind of it's been who I am for a long time, and so it was a really really hard decision. Um, but at the same time, I felt like the time was right, so. Um, you know, I sat down with my family and, and talked it through about, you know, what, what could be on the horizon and, you know, it's always tough when you're in a role for a long time, people kind of, um, I guess, just expect you to stay in that role and I knew that if I was available that I would have more opportunities come my way, so 
felt like the timing was right to uh, to step aside and, and uh, explore new opportunities, I guess, and again get to um, I guess reassess uh, where I go from here. And just going through that, I guess, decision, Dylan, and you, you said it yourself that you've been with the Breakers for such a long time. How did you find that transition going from a player, a championship player with so much success and then kind of moving into that front office? Because you don't see a lot of players doing that. And I guess just curious to find out your transition and how that went. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a, it's a good question, Sean. I mean, it's kind of an interesting one for me because I guess I, when I kind of became towards the end of my career, I sat down with Paul Blackwell and we kind of talked through, um, you know, when I would finish up playing, and he was asking me when am I looking to retire, you know, and I was you know kind of talking about what life after basketball would bring, and, and I think the big thing for me was always I wanted to do something that was that I was passionate about, which was staying involved with the sport, and then. But at the same time, I wanted to have security for my family. I've got I've four um, children. I've got four children, and you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I was providing for them and, and having a, a stable, I guess, income coming in to be able to look after them. So, for me, it was you know, my he sort of said, "Do you want to go down the coaching route, or do you want to go down the commercial route?" And, and to be honest, my my heart was telling me that I, I really wanted to go down the coaching route. And but you know, I've been around so many outstanding coaches that go from job to job and, and have to go end up playing their trade elsewhere over, overseas or in different places and I didn't really want to have to be moving my family all around so my, my head was saying to me the commercial route was the way to go so well, the last three years of playing I was able to start in that I guess career path and start selling corporate hospitality and sponsorship while I was still playing and um, when the time came when I finally announced my retirement they said to me that you know, I've done a great job and they wanted me to stay on and, and do that full time for the club and that was like a dream come true to go straight out of playing and straight into a role with a with a club and an organisation that I held so dearly and, and had, you know, poured my uh, poured my heart out on the court. I was able to then go and try and do that off the court as well and try and help the club be sustainable. And you talked about the Blackwells as well. And just from afar, I know you and I were at the Breakers um, early on, and and then the Blackwells kind of came in a little bit after we left. Um, And just from the outside, they just looked like they just had their hearts in the right place. They did some tremendous things, but just looked like the the players loved to play for them. Can you just talk to us about Blackwell and kind of, I guess, the legacy they left with the Breakers? Yeah, absolutely. There, um, the the Blackwell family are probably you know the the most generous, kind family that you'll ever meet. And they they got involved in basketball because the other son James had got into basketball, and you know they really wanted to use basketball as a vehicle to engage with the community and, and particularly engage with families, um, fatherless families, and that's kind of where the whole um, I guess legacy started. So the whole thing between. The club was about the club operating under a, um, a kind of like a family operation and, and operating um, under some set, sets of values that everybody lives day to day by and, and that was kind of where it all started and that was kind of the foundation that had been laid and then you know it was about working through being being good role models in the community being the most accessible basketball team and um, and uh, sorry, excuse, sorry most accessible team in New Zealand sport so 
been approachable by community, by media, by whoever wants to engage with us. And that's kind of where they set the bar. And, you know, to be honest, when, when we left Sean and, and how much it had changed from the time I'd come back was night and day. And, um, again, the, the guys who are in the team kept telling me how things had changed. And, you know, when I came back, I saw it firsthand. And, you know, I, I truly believe that's the reason why the club has had so much success because of the culture that they built. You know, obviously we had some good players um, that have played for the club, but, you know, they hadn't laid that foundation of, of those values and, and, uh, and that culture that they built. I don't think the club would have had any success. Yeah, dude, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, looking at it from the outside of just the change that they brought to that club, and you know, we probably we went uh, from we went from a from a team where we couldn't recruit any Australians. Till all of a sudden, we were we were a team that you know we were getting approached by Australian players to come and play for, and you know, it was a, probably a big coup and getting CJ Bruton to come across. Um, and play for the club and then that would have never have happened if Portlanders weren't there and, and because the players had spoke so highly of them and you only have to meet them once to know they are genuine people and what they say is exactly how they are and um, you know whatever they promise you they're always going to deliver and, and that's something that's so important in, in sport and as a player as you know you want that security knowing that the ownership group has is, is, is got your back 100%. Well, I agree with that. And just, uh, you know, you're not the first player to say that as well. So, you know, when it gets backed by a couple different uh, players, that, that that's what's happening and, and word spreads around the league pretty quickly. Uh, just at the breakers now, obviously they've uh, transition period. You know, they've had a lot of success over the years, but a lot of those guys are, are gone now, yourself included. And you've got the new ownership group there with Matt Walsh and, and a few of the NBA guys as well. What, what differences have you seen that they've brought and uh, where do you see the breakers going this year yeah I mean like we've talked a lot about the Blackwells and, and, and how good they are and, you know and being, you know but there's certain certain things in basketball that could never have been achieved probably under under their ownership and you know the RJ Hampton one's probably the first thing that springs to mind like there's no way um without the connections that Matt has in the States and through the Sean Marion and people like that, there's no way that we would have ever been able to secure a player like RJ Hampton to the club. And um, and, and just again, the, the commercial, I guess, um, I guess it's driven how much Matt has driven through commercial is, is probably what uh, Portland is. Didn't lack, I wouldn't say Portland is lack, but they were focused on community and they hoped that there would be commercial outcomes because of their engagement with the community but um, I guess Matt and his ownership group have, have a far more really commercial focused uh, attitude going in because that's, they know for the club to be sustainable it really has to, have, has to be successful commercially. It's, it's an interesting balance, isn't it? You're probably in, in a better position than anyone to to have a good, good view of it where probably for the, the, the club as a whole to go to the next level to become a global brand which it seems like what Matt and, and the new ownership structure are, are very keen on making happen but then also trying to get the balance right of keeping your, your history were, were you a little I know you were involved in the decision making but a little disappointed that guys like obviously Mika and, and Alex Pledger and Shay Illy and, and probably even Paulie Hanari aren't at the club now while the club has made this transition into I guess the, the, the new New era that you, that, that, that you know they're going under with, with Matt in charge. Yeah, it's, I mean it's tough anytime you see legends, you know, um, walk out the door and go to other clubs or, or go on to other things. It's always, you know, it's always something that's tough, and especially for, for myself, you know, I was in that 
general manager role and these guys are, are good friends of mine and I'm, you know, I'm seeing them go down the clubs and, and you know, take all their skill set and, and all their knowledge um, and take it to another club. It's always hard and, you know, it's always those, those uh, you know, probably that's probably the one part of the job I absolutely hated was, uh, was having those discussions with people and then end up, you know, you end up losing players or you end up losing people and um, and that's 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 the part I hated most about it. Um, and yeah, it is. It's very sad to see um, those type of guys uh, playing for, for other clubs now and not for the Breakers. And you know, one of the things that um, you know was Portland were able to do is they were able to keep the best New Zealand talent uh, playing on the on the shores of New Zealand. And um, most players, if you ask, they would probably rather play at home than play elsewhere. That's you know, having the comforts of home is, is always something that's pretty special. Is there one player that that meeting was probably the toughest that you had uh, that you knew was going to go play somewhere else? Uh, to be honest, I mean they're all tough. Um, none of them were none of them were tougher than the other. But um, the one for me that um, you know was was really hard um, was when Paulie um, decided to step down, and you know it was a, it was a tough one because you know I'd been sitting in those meetings. Um, with you know the three of us, myself, Matt, and, and Paulie, and you know we'd been going back and forth, and it was a tough time because you know it was you know Matt had come in as a new owner, and, and he didn't know um, people well enough, so he was making decisions based on you know information that or from what as I had told him, um, and you know, someone like Paulie wanted security at the club and, and, and those sorts of things. So those are those those are decisions, and you're sitting and then you can feel it slipping through your hands, and you know. I could feel it sitting in those meetings knowing that it wasn't going the right way um, and trying to salvage it but you know it's, again um, it just wasn't to be and um, you know Paulie's gone on and been able to uh, focus his time on on, on the Tall Blacks and, and on um, the New Zealand NBL with the Wellington Saints so you know he, he, was, he was fine um, once it had all happened but um, you know it's one of those ones that's always tough to sit in those meetings and, and watch things happen yeah, I'd imagine that would have been a, uh, a tough one, just knowing the history that you guys had, not only as as players, but then obviously move that into the, the management side and the coaching side. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of respect for both of you guys around around the league. And I guess one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today as well is just how you became the player you were. Because, you know, if you looked at your stats, you wouldn't say this guy was a 13-time champion, four-time NBL champion, um, just the impact you had on the game. Where did that come from? Because you just had a unique ability. I, I kind of compare you to Damian Martin and Mika Vakona, guys that can just affect the game, but you not necessarily show up on the stat sheet. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your history and, and how you developed the, the style of play that you played with? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, it's funny because... You know, a lot of a lot of parents come up to me and go, "Oh, my son's just like you. He doesn't score and he just plays defense." And you know, and I always think to myself, "Well, when I was that age, all I cared about was scoring." You know, like when I was a kid, I just wanted to score the basketball, and you know, I, I was able to do it. Um, you know, in, in the lower levels, and I guess as I got as I got up to the higher levels, I realised that um, you know that I had a skill set that was unique, um, and I had a good knowledge of the game that I could see things unfolding before they unfolded and, and I was able to read the game in a way that I thought everyone could do but as I got older I realised they couldn't and you know probably the first person to identify that was Tad Baldwin who was the, uh, the tall black coach for, for many years and you know he said to me you know that you know I've just got an uncanny, uncanny ability to be able to read the game and 
my basketball IQ is really high. As a kid, I grew. I didn't. I didn't run a single play until I left high school. We didn't even run plays in high school. It was just pretty much get the ball and try and do what you can to score. There was no plays or run. And you know, I think to my son playing high school basketball now, and they're running you know ten different plays out there. And I'm thinking, and I was his age, I had never even run a play. So you know, it's kind of crazy to, to. I guess IQ is just one of those things that you either have or you haven't got. And it's something that I was blessed with and lucky because I wasn't blessed with many other talents on the basketball court as far as athleticism and things like that. So I guess I relied on my knowledge of the game. I allowed, um, relied on my ability to be able to read situations in games and try and outsmart players that you're playing against by knowing what moves they were going to make and cutting them off and then um, being able to set players up by, uh, you know, with passes and screens and things like that. So being able to, I guess, impact the game in a positive way. And it probably started when um, I first, as an 18-year-old, was playing for, for the Auckland team um, in the New Zealand NBL, and I realised to get minutes, I had to play defence. So uh, if I played good defence, that tab would reward me by leaving me on the court. And, you know, they would send me out there and put them put me on the imports and say, don't let the guy touch the ball. So I knew if I could do a good job doing it, I would stay out there. And that's kind of how I bought into that whole... I guess defensive mentality. I knew that you know every team needs someone who can play D on there, and there's always going to be a star player on another team that needs to be shut down. And that's kind of, I guess, the the role I tried to fill. I think it's a good point, especially if you've got young people uh, listening to the podcast as well, is that, you know, I think the best players evolve. You know, you're not going to be able to play the same role every single time you're on a team. You know, when you were younger, I imagine you were the best player, so you had to go score. But, um, you know, if you want to play in a league for a long time and and obviously uh, the success that you had, you had to adapt your game. And I think it's something that uh, probably isn't celebrated as much, but, uh, you know, from from a guy who had to one was a teammate of yours but then also had to compete against you I think there's tremendous amount of respect and and I just remember there was one time Scott Fisher was uh going through the whole it was when you were with the bullets and he was you know pre pre-game he was going through the lineup he spent about 30 seconds on CJ Bruton who was probably leading the league in scoring at the time and he spent about four or five minutes on you and how we had to stop you and and just the impact that you'd have when you when you get check into the game so um, you know, you probably don't hear that too often, but it's, uh, you know, I, I, it, just wanted to, to share that with you and, uh, you know, the tremendous amount of respect around the league for what you were able to accomplish and, and being a winner out there as well. No, I appreciate it. And, and funny, funny, the thing that I would always judge my success on was how many other fans were, were giving me heaps. You know, I know if the fans weren't yelling, you know, crash remarks to me, I realized I wasn't making an impact out there. So it was always, always as long as people are still saying derogatory things out of the stands, I know I'm upsetting somebody and I know I must be doing a good job to, to stop their team's rhythm. And that's kind of, um, I always use that as a gauge of success. And, you know, when I'd see my, you know, when my teammates would struggle with, you know, people saying things I say that's a good thing if no one's saying anything about you then no one cares about what you're doing on the court if the fans are caring what you're doing then you're doing something right so you know I always, always kind of uh, used to laugh at when people would get upset or when people would say stuff to them I said it's a compliment take it as a compliment well, Sean knows all about that as, as well as anybody too, obviously. Um, the, the unique thing about doing this show with Sean is that we get to talk to people like you who've got a history with him from his career, and you're one of the unique ones who got to play with and against Sean. Obviously, you had that half a season together at the Breakers, then you had a season together in Perth, and, and then together you were part of that 
you know, historic rock, you know, Breakers Wildcats rivalry that will always look on on for on forever. Um, when you think about Sean as a as a teammate and a and an opponent, what what immediately springs to mind? No one works harder than this guy. Like I don't think people appreciate, um, you know, Sean's game for what it was and how hard he worked at his game. I mean, there was a time when um, you know we were in Perth and we lived in the same building, and um, you know this guy would, you know, I would be absolutely done at training, and he would say to me, "I'm going to the lift some weights. You want to come?" And I'd be like, "No, I'm done." Like you know, and he would be off lifting weights and, and doing stuff and. And I always considered myself one of the hardest workers and, you know, this guy showed me that, you know, he, he works, you know, harder than anybody and, you know, the way Sean came back from his hip injury that, you know, we all thought he was done. We were like, there's no way, you know, there's no way he's coming back and he came back and was still able to compete at the, at the highest level, you know, and that that's phenomenal for a player to be able to do that and like I say, I had to guard him at trainings and, you know, and, and, and there's, there's guys just that have a knack of scoring and, and can get things done. He had a knack of scoring and being able to get things done and I absolutely hated having to compete against him as well because he would out sprint you down the floor and, you know, and then he would battle you physically and, you know, there was there was nothing he wasn't willing to do to make sure his team had success at the end of the day. Well, but thanks for those kind words, Dylan. It was uh, tell you what we had we had some good battles. Um, every time when I was your teammate, every time I was on the court, uh, I just my eyes lit up because I knew if I made a cut or something, you were going to find me, and uh, you know you'd be one of the first picks that I'd have as as a teammate on the court. So you know I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us today, and it's it's been great to kind of see the inside of of, of New Zealand basketball. And, and I guess a little bit on your career and, and where do you see the NBL and in New Zealand basketball? Everyone's talking about how exciting it is and, and are you are you seeing that over there in New Zealand as well, it, it, the rise of basketball um, in the country? Yeah, the rise of basketball is huge over here. The, the participation numbers are going through the roof. Um, the level of talent um, in, in high school that's coming through. We've got, you know, good young talent coming through. We've got outstanding, you know, hardworking players over here that, that have realistic dreams of playing in the NBA because of, you know, the likes of Stephen Adams and, you know, and, and looking at the Australians and guys like Patty Mills and Andrew Bogut and, you know, those these are guys with Della Vadova, you know, guys that are, you know, just like them that they know that this is NBA is not that far away and that it's actually a reality if they put the work and they can get there and I think you know just watching the game grow and like I say the skill set that these kids have in high school now compared to when we were at that age the game has evolved so much and you know my son right now is preparing for nationals in two weeks time and, and they're doing two a days every day um, leading into nationals and you know, I think back to school if we had two trainings a week that was like you know that was a lot so just how much kids are training uh, they're taking this game very seriously um, they're, they're trying to get to college a lot of kids and, and again not only improving their basketball but also getting an education as well so it's it's certainly uh, it's become uh, very big in New Zealand and Australia um, as far as a pathway to be able to I guess get, get um, your um, success in life started as well Just one last one from me Dylan um <laughs> Basketball's been such a huge part of your life, obviously, and it's been been a full-time job for you pretty much for, for the last 20 years as a player, and then you move straight into the into the front office role. Um, do you know what you want to do next? What what are you what are you hoping to, to move into in the in the short term? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and for me, you know, like uh, I talk about basketball lifers and there's, you know, um, we just went to a funeral of a coach, um, an American coach who'd been here for 20 years and passed away of cancer and just the amount of people that were at the funeral. And, and I said to people, this guy's a basketball lifer. He gave his life to the game of basketball. And, you know, the basketball has been able to provide for me and my family, like you say, for, for 20 odd years. And, you know, I would consider myself a basketball lifer. So is the next step for me in basketball? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope it is. Um, I feel like I've got a lot to offer this sport. Um, I feel like I've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of IP in this brain of mine that I want to share with, with whoever wants to listen and learn. And, and I think, you know, if I can stay involved in the sport in some way, um, whether it be in New Zealand or further abroad, um, I certainly would like to do that. Um, but at the same time, I'm also realistic that basketball is still a growing sport and he still doesn't have the the roles, I guess, like your sports like, you know, an AFL or, a, or a NRL or, a, um, you know, a rugby, you know, those type of things. It doesn't have those depth of roles that you can stay involved in the sport and, and be paid a, a decent wage. So, um, you know... I would like to say yes, I'll, I'll be still involved in the sport, but I don't know where the next next direction is for me. Um, I would hope, I would hope it's still going to be involved in basketball, though, for sure. Yeah, I don't think anyone can argue that you've got a lot to offer. So I think, I think the offers will come in thick and fast. It's just a matter of, I guess, picking the right one and and being patient. So um, I, I'm sure you'll stay involved in the game, whether it's in New Zealand or over in Australia, or or maybe even even beyond that. But um, I certainly think it'd be a big loss if you're not. So that, let's hope it works out well for you. And yeah, thanks very much for joining us on on this first episode. And I don't think we could have asked for a better guest. No, definitely not. Thanks, Dylan. It's been uh, been our pleasure. And and say hi to Nick and the kids and uh, hopefully uh, you know the sport is better with you in and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of opportunities coming your way shortly no, I appreciate it Sean and, and Chris and I appreciate being the first guest on the show and um, wish you guys all the best in your podcast and I hope you get uh, all the listeners that you deserve and, <laughs> and Sean um, and then goes to you Sean with Gretchen and the kids as well and we must uh, overdo a catch up so I appreciate uh, chatting to you today as well thanks mate On our first two-minute drill segment on basketball hustle, um, supposed to be Sean Sean's segment, but Sean's proving elusive at the moment. So, Damien Martin, you're, you're stuck with me, um, and unfortunately for our listeners, you're stuck with me because I'm sure you'd prefer to hear what Sean had to say. But I did listen to him for ten years, so now this is much better. <laughs> that was my very first question, Damo. Um, Podcast that me and Sean are now starting up. You've known Sean for for ten years now. You played. Mm-hmm. Played with him for eight years. You played in four championships with him. You've you've known me for ten years, unfortunately, as well. Um, what what went through your mind when you found out we'd be doing a podcast? Oh, I thought, uh, yeah, the two opposites have got together. So uh, no, I, I think it's going to be a good platform. Obviously, a lot of information between the two of you, both from a player's perspective and someone who's covered the game for a number of years now and seen the highs and lows of what the NBL can have to offer, not just the Perth Wildcats as a club, but I know you've covered a, a range of different teams, whether it be on the NBL front or at a club level where you've worked um, one-on-one with them. So now I'm excited to tune in weekly and uh, see what the two of you guys put together. Now, the thing that stood out about Sean as a player and as a teammate, I'm sure, was his professionalism. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not here today, so that <laughs> that probably shows where this... That stopped when he retired, <laughs> apparently. So this might show where this ranks in in terms of his priorities. Um, <laughs> as a teammate, what stood out to him? And um, can you tell us something we might not know, know about Sean from the outside? 
Uh, look, he was the ultimate pro, and to be honest, there's two players in particular that stand out when I think of who I've learned the most from. Obviously, you have a lot of coaches throughout your career and your parents, but Sean and, and Bogut, the two guys I've learned a lot from, and Bogut was more from a mental toughness perspective. Sean was the whole package in regards to, you know, what he did, he did every single cliche you've heard of, but he did them every single day, not just when the media were there, not just when we were preparing for finals, not just after a loss. And that goes from being early to training, lift hard in weights, getting on the court early before team training, practicing his game, staying late to work on his game again but then it's all the other things like stretching, visualisation ice baths, diet was impeccable and he did it every single day throughout the course of his career and one moment that stands out in his last year here at the Wildcats he was only playing sporadic minutes uh, and I remember we lost here on a home court game and he got out on the court for about five minutes the night before. And before we flew out to New Zealand, uh, I was injured, so I had to come in and, and train while the boys were about to go get ready for a plane. Sean actually got one of the coaches to come in and rebound for him the morning of that flight just because he wanted to prepare himself for that game if he stepped foot on the court again. And that's a guy that already achieved everything he can in basketball, but he still had a role to play and he wanted to do it to the best of his ability, even if a man getting up early, saying goodbye to the family a little bit earlier, took an extra shooting session in the day of a flight to New Zealand. And not many players do that. Um, you know, I've been inspired by Sean since day one. He's a leader by example, and, and those things he did on a day-to-day basis, they've trickled in and helped establish what's expected now as a Perth Wildcats player. Jesse Wagstaff, your new... I say that as he's a no-show to this podcast, <laughs> exactly, so yeah. I retract everything. <laughs> um, Jesse Wagstaff, he's your new vice-captain. Mm-hmm. Is that just through he's the last man standing in terms of the, <laughs> the, the veterans, or does he has he deserved it? The old guys, yeah. What a lot of people don't know is Jesse was actually co-vice-captain last year, and I think even two years ago. Now on paper, only showed Greg higher, but Greg and Jesse have both been great leaders for a number of years. You know, Greg's more of a, a leader. Uh, he's a verbal guy. He's a loud guy. And then when he had got out on the court, you know, he gave his absolute all. So he's inspirational from that capacity. Jesse's got one of the highest basketball IQs of any guys I've ever met. So it's been a natural progression that the older he got, the more he was comfortable speaking up. And whether it's in a one-on-one setting or collectively with the group, uh, he's been a great leader for a number of years. So, you know, it, it was no surprise that uh, he was voted in the leadership group. You mentioned Greg Hire there. Um, when you first got to Perth, you and Brad Robbins were inseparable. Um, you lived together, you did everything everything together. Um, Lockie Reed dubbed you the, the Bash Brothers there for, for a while. Um, when did you realise that Greg had stolen, stolen him as your best mate? Yeah, once they married sisters, I thought it's going to be tough to, tough to break into that family. So, yeah, Brad Robbins and uh, Greg Hire, they're married to Ainsley and Becky, who are sisters. Uh, so, no, look, they're, they're inseparable now, which is great. Actually, they live in Edgewater, I live in Edgewater and so does Jesse so the four of us will all be retired in a few years playing C grade with arthritic knees at, up in Junil up so I love how close we've remained we've all got young families now and hopefully the kids grow up together and are as close as we are a lot of talk about the similarities between Mitch Norton and Nick Kay and mm-hmm. you and and you and Maddie Knight as a as a as a Point guard, power forward duo. Obviously, you, you and Maddie were, you know, tied at the hip for, for a long time, whether it was college or playing over in Sydney or, or here in Perth and playing on the, that MU team together. And obviously, Nick and Mitch have been tied together closely now up in Townsville and Wollongong and now in now in Perth. Um, in ten years' time, which duo is going to be remembered as the best? <laughs> oh, look, it comes down to the amount of championships you win. So we're lucky that Maddie and I, you know, we've got a few between us. But in saying that, it, it's the stuff you don't see, the intangibles where you don't have to have any type of community 
communication, just know what the other person's going to do. I was fortunate enough to have that with Maddie and the amount of trust I had in him in both ends, whether it's to roll the ball into him for a game-winning shot or knowing full well I could crawl into my defender, knowing Maddie would be behind there to, to be on the split line. Mitch and uh, Nick have that. You know, Nick was away a long time with the Boomers and I've never seen Mitch more depressed in my life. So it's good to have the two of them joined again at the hip and uh, they're going to go on to do some special things together as that duo and hopefully they've got a bit of help around them because, uh, yeah, they're two very good players. You and Brett obviously have your two beautiful children at the moment. Um, what are you most excited about getting home to see when you think about seeing your kids and what are you hoping to, to avoid it while you're at home and hope that the kids safe for, for Brit when you're not there. I went. Uh, I actually went shopping, uh, just grocery shopping yesterday. And I think it's the first time in my life I've really understood what anxiety is. I'm never doing that again with a three-year-old who wants absolutely everything, and then a crying nine-month-old. So, look, the, the best thing is when you open the door and, and they yell, or the Maggie yells out your name, which comes running towards you, and then you walk in and see Bonnie, and, and she gives you a smile. So, you know, win a game, lose a game, have a good training session or a bad one, it's all forgotten about as soon as that door's open. And, and your life takes a turn and now you're just a dad and that's all that matters. So it's great for life balance in regards to what I, d- I don't look forward to. Look, night time is still not smooth sailing. So, you know, I try and read a book. We uh, try and have a few little routines. But at the end of it, I'm reminded just where I sit in the pecking order. It goes mum, distance, the wiggles, the dogs and then dad. So at night time, it's all about, about mum and how much they want to cuddle and kiss her. Um, last five or six or seven years, you've had a good relationship with 94.5 here, mm-hmm. here in Perth. Um, do you remember how that got started for you? Oh, I'm not entirely sure. I think you may know more. Than... I might have. That might be where the question came from. <laughs> so anytime you want to you know, throw a thank you my way. That'll... Oh, you, you set me up with that, did you? I did, I did. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed my time. So because 94.5 and 92.9, they're owned by the same owners, mm-hmm. all part of Stereo. I've been lucky enough to go upstairs and downstairs <laughs> yeah. now for the two radio stations for, yeah, 10 years. But I've... I, a long overdue thank you. I've always enjoyed my time, but I didn't realise where it stemmed from. Um, now, this was a lot longer than a two-minute drill, but it's meant to be Sean's show, so Sean's not here, so it doesn't, doesn't matter. He can take take over from next week, and he can keep it a two-minute drill. But Here's the only bit of advice Sean's worthwhile listening to. I remember we had a daughter, a beautiful daughter, Hayley. He really was adamant about having a son. I don't know where he read it, but he got told that if you have a low testosterone count, uh, it helps your chances of having a boy. And so every single day after training, he would have an extra long ice bath and then go home and well let's just say that now he's got a son so he was adamant that's why and so if you ever want a boy have long ice baths and that's Curdy of s Rodage. thanks for joining us <laughs> cheers mate thanks to Damien Martin for joining us have you got some rebuttals that you'd like to run through Sean oh look uh, I We'll say that last story Damo said about ice bass, that uh, that is true. I actually learned that from Andrew Gaze. So, um, you know, Andrew Gaze, myself, we were able to have boys. So I'm not sure if it's scientifically proven, but there's two cases where it did happen. And uh, we've got Haley, we've got Dylan, and, uh, you know, we're, we're good. And the two-minute drill segment, you'll take over it from next week. Um, what have you got in store for the players across the league? Oh, look, I just want to ask those questions that uh, that probably don't get asked a lot of times and uh, find, kind of find out that inside information uh, that, uh, you know, give a little bit more uh, insight into uh, what makes these players so special. Now, we're getting towards the end of our, our first episode here of Hoops Heavens Basketball Hustle. Um, Plenty of excitement around the league. The the, the 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 round one action gets underway on Thursday night, obviously, with 
the, the first ever Melbourne Melbourne derby. Um, you know, pretty, pretty exciting way to tip things off with Melbourne United and South East Melbourne Phoenix. But before we get into that, um, everybody probably wants to know what your predictions are for the season ahead. Sean, I'll chuck mine in there too, but I, I think everyone's here to, to hear what you might think. Um, let's start with who you think come March will be the, the champions for t- 2020. Look, I'm, I'm going to predict Sydney. And uh, the reason I think is, one, I, I like the recruit of Casper Ware. I think that uh, it kind of fits their personality or their personnel on that team. But I also just think they're going to be extremely hungry. You know, they've kind of had some seasons where they're extremely talented but haven't been able to put it all together. But I think, uh, you know, I, I, I like the way they've recruited their new uh Recruit Didi Lozada. He looked amazing in that that preseason blitz. So um, yeah, that's that's who I'm going out with at the start. Now this could change uh, next week, but um, I think uh, I think Sydney is the favorite at this stage. Hard to argue, but I'm going to go with Melbourne United. Um, they went so close last season. Obviously, went got to the grand final, and I think on paper, even though they've lost Casper Ware, that you could argue that they've got a better. A better squad this season. I think Mellow Trimble is ready to take the league by storm. He had a fantastic season in Cairns, but in a better team, I'm really excited to see what he can do as point guard. And, and Sean Long, we know that he's got the, the biggest swagger in the league, and now I'm excited to see what he can do in that, that Melbourne setup. And, yeah, I think for me, um, Melbourne look like being the, the team to beat right now. Yeah, the only question mark I have is how does Mello and Sean Long fit into their their system as well? You know, Mello is a score, but, the, you know, Melbourne United has so many scores around them. So I think he's going to have to take a little bit of a backseat some games. And, uh, you know, so the, to me, they're going to... Uh, they're gonna might have a few weeks where they kind of struggle before they figure it all out. So um, that's that's my only question mark is is making sure those guys fit into their system in that culture. Yeah, it's a good point because absolutely, Mellow's a scoring first point guard, and, and Sean Long's a scoring first big man. Chris Golding's a scoring first two guard. Um, Casey Prather's a, a scoring first three man. So you've got plenty of guys there that that, that there's only one basket. Exactly. Um, so we know Sydney's in your in your top four. Who else will be in the top four come the end of the season? Well, obviously Melbourne, I think, is in there. I think you've got to throw in Perth with the with the culture they've got. Anytime they've, you've got Damian Martin and Bryce Cotton leading your team, uh, you can't count those guys out. And then uh, in that in that four spot, I'm going to go with Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think Brisbane. Obviously, we'll be up there as well, but I just like the the team that they put together, and uh, I love Mitch Creek as a player, and I think when he uh, and that Roberson as well, he mm-hmm. looks like he can really shoot the basketball and going to be an exciting player for them. Yeah, tough to argue again. I think I think right now it looks like Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. You almost have to have a lock just just because of how talented and experienced Melbourne and Sydney look, and and when the Wildcats have done what they've done over history. Um, until they make, until they don't make the playoffs, it's impossible to, to just not keep assuming that they'll continue continue to, to make it. So, for me, that fourth spot is is fascinating. I think Brisbane are a really good good chance of doing it, but to me, their front court's probably their 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 big question mark right now. With, with Sobey and Glidden and Kadi in the backcourt, that's fantastic. But to me, they'll need to get get some really good front court support from. From their imports, so I guess until we see that that in action, it's a case of wait and see. Um, all of a sudden, with, with Jerome Randall, Adelaide comes right back into into the mix, so you'd have to consider them. 
the New Zealand Breakers look look like they've got an exciting group as well. And the Illawarra Hawks are a great unknown. They're they're very young, but they they could be incredibly exciting as well. And and that's hope that the Cairns Taipans are a bit more competitive as well. But for me, just with the news over the last twenty four hours of Jerome Randall, um, I might go for for the Adelaide Thirty Sixes in that in that fourth spot. Well, we'll see. We'll find out uh, in uh, in, a, in a few rounds in to see. Uh, I guess we'll check back with our predictions, see how we're going. We will, and we'll we'll match him up with what Corey Williams is doing, your old mate as well, and see and see what he's got in store throughout the season as well. Um, MVP, who have you got as your MVP right now? Look, there's some great names out there. You know, I think you've got to look at Bogut, obviously from last year, Cotton, Sean Long, Lamar Patterson, uh, Randall. Uh, you know, even Roberson and and Aaron Brooks. You know, I liked what I what I saw there. But um, you know, I think that from an MVP point of view, I think I'm going to go with Randall in the 36ers. Yeah. And uh, and and that's saying because I just think I don't see too many guys taking votes off him. Um, and I think that I think they will be competitive. They'll uh, you know be fighting for that that third fourth spot uh, come the end of the season as well with Randall. So uh, you know I've seen all his workout videos over the off season and uh, it looks quite impressive. <laughs> he so if he can uh, do some of those moves on a weekly basis in the NBL, he'll be uh, he'll be unstoppable. Yeah, he's put some videos out where he's just put on moves on people that they've never seen before happen in front of them. So. Um, it's a good point because he won't have too many guys taking votes off him. I think, I think if you look at Mello Trimble and Casey Prather and and Sean Long in Melbourne, they've got the problem of people taking votes off them. Um, probably in Sydney as well, Casper Ware and Bogan and even Kevin Lish have got the chance to take votes off off each other there. Um, so I think actually for the same reason that you've gone for Randall, I'm going to go for Bryce Cotton, where I, I don't know if. If Nick Kaye, he looks like he's set for a fantastic season, but I don't know if he'll be a big vote-getter in the MVP voting. And outside of that, I don't know who's going to be taking a lot of votes off him. Tariko White is a, is a chance to, obviously. But, yeah, for me, Bryce Cotton was as deserving as Andrew Bogart was last year of getting the MVP. I think Bryce Cotton was incredibly unlucky, and I think I think right now Bryce Cotton's got a point to prove to show that, that he's the MVP of the league again, and he probably deserves to be the favourite coming into the season. Well, he is healthy as well. So he was last year. He had that niggling uh, wrist injury um, in the game against Brisbane. So he's healthy. So that's uh, that's not good news for the rest of the league. Most improved player. It's always a tricky one because until we see the players and how they've improved, it's difficult to know who has got better. But who would you think looks most likely right now? Oh, I think Majak Dang in Cairns. I think, uh, you know, he's uh, been an exciting player for a number of years in Adelaide. Um, but I think he's going to have a lot more responsibility in Cairns. And so I, I think that he's, uh, he's definitely one. And also the other one I would say with Jack McVeigh, I think he's, um, you know, I really like the way how hard he played towards the end of last season. Didn't get a whole lot of run early in the year in his rookie season. So I think he's one to look out for as well. Yeah, and when Juk Deng was one that stood out to me, but You've taken him, so I'll go Will Magne at the Brisbane Bullets. I think with the way their front court shaped up now, I think he and Matt Hodgson are going to have to have really big seasons for him. So I think he's going to play play some some reasonably big minutes, especially early on in the season for the Bullets. And he's a, he's a he's a seven footer. He's got all the all the tools in the in the in the kit bag. He just needs a chance to show what he's capable of. So I think Will, Will Magne's set for some big things. 
Um, moving on to Rookie of the Year, it's an interesting one because uh, I think it does include the, the Next Stars players now, which obviously included Brian Bowen last year and now includes Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton and, and company this season. Um, there's some good Australian talent too coming into the league as rookies as well, but right now, who's the, the standout for you? Well, I think... You know, LaMelo Ball and what he's going to bring to this league is, is tremendous. And uh, especially from a, uh, I, I guess, exposure point of view in the USA. Uh, RJ Hampton, I think he's probably the most complete player of the of the three there that you talk about. But um, from the preseason, I think Didi Lozada from Sydney, I think he's going to play an important role for him and just be able to shoot shoot the ball and spread the court. So I think he's, uh, you know, to me at the moment, he's the favorite for uh, rookie and best next-gen player. So, but it's exciting, I think, you know, even, and watch out for Angus Glover from Illawarra. There's some big raps about him. Uh, obviously had some uh, injuries over the last couple of years, but sometimes that uh, really spurs you. To, when you get on the court, you're going to make the most of it. So I yeah. think he's kind of uh, a dark horse in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I think, as far as those those young players coming to the league, I think Diddy Lozada just looks unbelievable. As good as Lamelo and, and RJ look, I think I think Diddy just looks like he's a ready-made player already. He looks like he's the complete package. I saw him play for Brazil at the World Cup, and he put in some terrific performances there. You have a look at what he did at the Blitz, and he looked tremendous. You have a look at some of the Kings games as preseason games now coming into the season. He just looks like he's ready to to lead this team and that's a team that, that has Bogut and it has Lish and it, and it has Brad Newley there and it, it has Casper Ware but he looks like he's capable of playing a, a massive role and he's probably the one player out of them all that I'm most excited to see how he develops this season. Yeah, I think so but I think you also got to be careful with the preseason as well. I mean, uh, I'm not sure Damian Martin's playing 110% <laughs> yeah. uh, in, the, in the preseason. He knows he's got to save it for the regular season. So, well, I'm, I'm excited to see how are they going to go when they've been scouted, yeah. when defenses are, they know their tendencies and they're ready for them. Can they still produce some of the numbers that they've been putting up? We've seen in years past, you have guys that may put up huge numbers in the preseason mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, it definitely comes back to reality come come regular season. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're, those things you still got to watch, but, um, you know, I think their performances so far has uh, has a lot of excitement. Absolutely. Um, we'll put up those predictions on our social media accounts and we'll keep checking in throughout the season and you can hold us to a, to account to them. But, um, yeah, it, it's just looking like it's shaping up to be a hell of an exciting season right now and it gets underway Thursday night in Melbourne with Melbourne United taking on the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Are you expecting that game, Sean? Look, I think Southeast Melbourne might get them because it's your first game. There's going to be a lot of adrenaline. Uh, you know, I guess they're both in the kind of same boat. They're trying to fit all these new guys in. And sometimes you just don't know a new team, how they're going to play, what what their offense is, what their defensive structure is. We saw that a few years ago when Melbourne brought in a new coach and, um, and they were able to really blitz the league because the league just didn't know kind of what to expect. So I think that, that first game, there's going to be a lot of adrenaline. I'm picking Southeast Melbourne. Yeah, I'm probably leaning, leaning similar just because of the reason you said. Also, David Barlow's out for Melbourne United this weekend and also Casey Prather's under a little bit of, a, of an injury cloud as well. So not quite a full strength, Melbourne United. And I think, I think South East Melbourne are really desperate to make a statement in this first game as well. So, yeah, I might go for them as well. Um, 
moving on to Friday night up to up to the, the far north and the Cairns Taipans important for them to try to get off to a positive start after they had a horrible start last season and they were never able to recover but they're hosting the Sydney Kings and that's a, a massive task yeah you got to think uh, Sydney are definitely the favorites in that one and uh, high expectations for them but it's it's tough to win up in Cairns even last year you still had to uh, play reasonably well to, to get a win there it's it's not a place that you just walk in and you know there's a lot of a little few more nerves in that first game than than other games as well so we'll see how Sydney handles it can the uh, the star-studded lineup of the Sydney Kings handle that uh with the new coach as well so it's yep. going to be uh you know I'm, I'm i'm excited about the new season and and there's a lot of storylines to see how it all plays yep. out absolutely i think it's tough to go past sydney but i'm looking forward to seeing seeing the Taipans first up too um then in perth um grand final rematch on on saturday at rac arena you'll be you'll be there as part of the, the commentary team sean um melbourne united and the in the perth wildcats well, look, it's it's tough to go past the Perth Wildcats in this one, um, and and obviously Melbourne playing a few days before back in Melbourne, uh, you know, second game flying over west. I think uh, you got to pick the Wildcats at home, but I mean Melbourne United. I think we've talked about their their talented team. So, uh, but it, it's a tough weekend for them. You don't want, they don't want to start zero and two and be behind. Uh, all these talented teams out here so uh you know i think that's a that's a tough uh tough ask for them uh i think they'll be glad if they get a one and one um they'll be ecstatic if they get two and oh over this weekend but i, I think i'm picking perth on yeah. on saturday yeah and then they head off to the united states for two games against nba opponents as well so it's a it's a tough start for them i think the wildcats as well especially now that jericho white and mitch norton have both been cleared to play so they'll be at full strength and yeah, I think they'll be looking to, to start things off with a with a bang on, on the afternoon when they unfurl that championship banner once again. So, yeah, I think the Wildcats, but yeah, grand final rematch is a great way to start off any season. And then we finish off round one in in the gong, Illawarra Hawks, who will have any number of NBA scouts watching them every every single game they play this season, up against the Brisbane Bullets with Andre Lamanis returning to club duties. He's got Nathan Sobey on board and... And that looks like it's a probably a, a 50-50 game right now. Yeah, it's a tough one to call. Illawarra, uh, you know, a lot of excitement there with uh, Matt Flynn taking over the the program. And, and obviously, LaMelo Ball, Aaron Brooks, um, you know, I think he's he's the dark horse for, for MVP as well. And uh, I like the signing of Josh Boone. It just really makes... Um, I think it helps AJ Ogilvy as well because they can kind of keep him, probably come bring him off the bench, and um, you know I still think he's a he's a handy player in the league and, and can produce some some big moments. So I'm picking Illawarra because they're at home, and uh, so that those are my predictions in the first week. Yeah, I'm going to go for the Hawks as well. I I like that they've kept some experience around with Dave Anderson and Ogilvy and Tim Conrad as well, and. And then they've got and Aaron Brooks. I think he's someone that we haven't mentioned until now on the show, but he's he's right up there. He's he's on the same level as a Casper Ware or a, a Bryce Codden or a Jerome Randall or a Melo Trimble, if not if not above them, given his NBA history. And as long as he's taking things seriously and he's playing up to his level, he's capable of, of being right up in in that MVP voting. And I think yeah, come Sunday, I think the Hawks will start things off off well on their home floor. Well, I think one of the things that impressed me about Aaron Brooks is he's motivated to come play. You know, you see a lot of these guys, they, they finish their NBA career and uh, they're just kind of going to, to, I guess, experience a, a different culture, mm-hmm. but not really motivated to, uh, to, I guess, 
produce their best, but he seems one that wants to come out here and prove how good a player he is. And so, uh, you know, I think that's great for one, a lot of respect for him, but um, I'm excited to see how he goes. Absolutely. Um, so there you go. First episode down, Sean. Um, like I said, wouldn't be here without Hoops Heaven. Basketball Hustle, you can check us out through all social media accounts. And if you're listening to this, you found us through through your, your favorite podcast memes. So let's hope that you can join us every week here because we're pretty excited about what we can provide to you this season. And we'll be back again next week, a couple of exciting guests, and we'll bring you all of the news and, and results from, from round one. And, and Sean, thanks to you for putting your faith in me to join us. And, and let's, let's hope this is a, an enjoyable ride for us. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited about it, and uh, we'll see you next week.